Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. I have had some comments from some of you who have shared how uh, you're enjoying our new series, Christmas in Time. We we are taking a look uh, at Christmas through time and identifying some historic events that took place on or near December 25th uh, and how in those events we see the yearning uh, of uh, the hearts of men and women uh, for things that ultimately only God can bring in their fullness but we in our frailty uh, and with the challenges we have as human beings try to bring about uh, and of course remember the first week uh, we remembered that on December 25th uh, the World Wide Web was launched and uh, humanity's quest to know, to be known, to know others, um, a revelation, if you will. And we looked at that and we said, you know, that really is a part of our yearning to know God and to have a sense that he knows us and that we matter. And that as great a, uh, an instrument as the World Wide Web is, uh, you look at the revelation of God himself in Scripture. And, and how uh, that fills the deepest yearnings and longing of our heart, that God-shaped vacuum, to know God, to be known by Him, to be in relationship with Him. Then last week, we looked at uh, Washington's crossing of the Delaware River on Christmas, uh, 1776, uh, and, and how that crossing gave the new nation hope that they they could face uh, the tyranny of uh, Great Britain and the British Army. Not only face them, uh, but defeat them in winning our, our country's independence. And as we talked about that, that kind of that heroic um, assault, if you will, on Trenton, New Jersey, uh, how they crossed the void from Pennsylvania to New Jersey across the the Delaware River on that, that cold, snowy, terrible weather. It's what it used to look like in Alaska, right? Uh, on that Christmas day, uh, as Washington led his troops across, we think about how on Christmas, God became flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnation, Emmanuel, and how he crossed that great void between heaven and earth, to free us, to release us from the tyranny of Satan, from the penalty of sin and death, uh, and how that longing to be free, right, can really only be fulfilled when we come into relationship with Christ. And that true freedom, true liberty, is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so we talked about that last week. This week... Have I got a message for you? Timely? Relevant? I want to start with a question. 
What does the purchase of Alaska from Russia, impeachment, and an Advent scandal, what does it have in common? Some of you historians out there thinking, right? It's a Jeopardy question. Okay? How about what is Andrew Johnson for 500? Right? Right? Uh, Today I want to talk to you a little bit about forgiveness. Forgiveness. And uh, Andrew Johnson uh, grew up in South Carolina. He was very poor. His father died when he was very young. His mother moved to Tennessee where he grew up. When he was old enough, his mother um, sent him to be an indentured servant, if you will, uh, to earn money for the family. And from a very young age, he learned the art of, of tailoring. At age 16, when he'd worked long enough to be freed and to pay his debt from uh, the money that was given to his mother for his services, uh, he opened his own tailor shop. Uh, he was illiterate. Uh, however, uh, he, when he was doing tailoring work, would have people read to him the classics oration of classic orators. And he loved hearing the Constitution of the United States read. And so uh, Harry S. Truman said that perhaps no president was more familiar with the Constitution uh, than Andrew Johnson. Uh, at age uh, 18, he married a 16-year-old bride, and she taught him to be literate. She taught him not only to read, but taught him uh, mathematics. He was one of only two presidents that lacked some form of formal education, the other being Abraham Lincoln. Well, he was a very um, earthy sort of fellow. Uh, he uh, quickly earned the respect of his peers in his tailoring shop, and he began to organize laborers. Okay, um, people that comprise some of the lower class or guild classes, if you will, of of the South in that time, and began to form what would be like a labor union, and became known as a leader. After that, he was elected a mayor, and from there. Uh, a stint in Congress, then became governor of the state of Tennessee, then uh, senator representing the state of Tennessee. At the outbreak of the Civil War, he was the only senator from a southern state who did not resign his office. He stayed loyal to the Union. As a result, President Lincoln uh, appointed him the military governor of Tennessee in 1862, where for the rest of the time, up until 1864, he worked very hard uh, to try to shape Tennessee to get it ready for entrance back into the Union at the end of the Civil War. Well, in the election of 1864, you might know Um, that the former Union General, George McClellan, uh, who was known as a war Democrat, he was sympathetic to the South, but 
just detested the fact that the South would secede from the Union, so he was loyal to the Union. Uh, he ran for president against Abraham Lincoln. And because he was a war Democrat, Lincoln felt that maybe Johnson, as a Democrat, a war Democrat himself, as his running mate, would give him an edge over McClellan, picking his running mate to help him in the election, much the way, let's say, Kennedy selected Lyndon Johnson in the 60 election. Well, when that happened, Lincoln won by a landslide. Okay? And it was just shortly after the inauguration that Lincoln was assassinated. And Andrew Johnson became the 17th president of the United States. Okay? A man deeply devoted to the Constitution, but a man like Lincoln who had ideas of, of what should constitute Reconstruction. At the war's end, how should the South re-enter the Union? Now, Lincoln, back in 1862, after the Emancipation Proclamation, suggested that the terms of the South's entrance back in the Union be very lenient. He suggested if just 10% of the population of any state signed an oil uh, loyalty oath, uh, that, that that would be good enough for their readmittance. Um, it's very interesting at that time. Um, you had Republicans in Congress, some who were moderate, and others who were very radical. They had been the radical abolitionists, and now that the war is closing and coming to an end and they're planning on Reconstruction, uh, they believed that... Um, Reconstruction should be uh, very punitive in nature to the southern states that seceded. And so you had Lincoln and you had Congress kind of at odds. Congress passed what's known as a Wade-Davis Bill in 1864. And basically what that said is for a, a southern state to reenter the Union, you needed 50% of the population to sign a loyalty oath. And you needed... 50% of the population to say they had nothing to do with the rebellion at all. Well, how would that work? Since most people were involved and supportive in the southern states. So, Lincoln vetoed that bill. And that set the stage for a, a battle between the executive branch and um, the uh, legislative branch of our of our government over reconstruction okay so that's what's going on here what would it take to for the south to gain admittance back into the union and for um, there to be a pardon or forgiveness of 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 what had happened and that began uh, a battle over reconstruction that lasted until 1877 all right now Lincoln was assassinated. Johnson became president. And Johnson, he followed Lincoln, but he had even more lenient terms of, of uh, Reconstruction. And uh, in that year of 1865, while Congress is in recess, he basically, through the executive branch, uh, began to reconstruct the South 
and made entrance back into, if you will, the Union of States uh, fairly easy uh, and issuing lots of pardons uh, to Confederate officers, people who had been supportive and financed the war. Well, when Congress reconvened, and in 1866, they were furious. They were furious. The executive branch shouldn't have the power to do this. Furthermore, how could you be so lenient? Okay, I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version. But in 1866, Congress passed a civil rights bill. And that civil rights bill attached to Reconstruction um, the full participation of freedmen or former Negro slaves in the southern states and in their reformation and participation in the Union. Well, Johnson vetoed that. Johnson vetoed that. Um, and as he vetoed it, it just pushed Congress over the edge. By that time, they had a veto-proof majority, the Republicans did, and so what they did is they overrode the president's veto. And not only that, they began what was known as the 14th Amendment, or you hear the Equal Protection Clause, that comes from the 14th Amendment, and it was, enti it was intended to really clarify that freedmen, former slaves, were in fact citizens, and it set the terms for citizenship and naturalization. Okay? And also said they could not be denied rights afforded to those who were citizens of the United States. Well, that had to be passed. They had to go along the states and they made as a stipulation of entrance back into the Union that southern states pass that, okay? That they would pass that amendment to the Constitution. And Johnson, during that time, he traveled around the country speaking against it. Um, and as he did that, he continued to infuriate members of Congress uh, moderate Republicans sided with the radical Republicans, and now they were galvanized together. Any hope of working with him was lost. And what ends up happening is the 14th Amendment is passed and added to the Constitution. Okay? Well, Johnson begins to, to take, and he wants to remove from office people that, uh, officers or people that Congress said it had appointed to be a part of Reconstruction in various states in the South and, and who were supervising all of that. And Johnson said, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'm going to remove them from office so I can continue what I want. And this battle's going on. And so in 1867, Congress passes the Tenure of Office Act. And basically what that does, it ties the hands of the president, the executive branch. The president can't remove from office anyone whom the Senate had given uh, appointment to or permission to appoint to office. So Johnson says, okay, I'll show them. 
I'm going to remove one of my cabinet members who's a burr on my side. He was the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. And Stanton was a, re- a radical Republican who vehemently opposed Johnson's policies of Reconstruction. So he removes. He removes. He fires Stanton. Well, it was only three days later, I believe it was in February uh, of 1868, that Congress votes to impeach Andrew Johnson. And uh, they voted before they even presented the case. And then it went to the Senate, where it was argued in the Senate. And in the end, Andrew Johnson... Uh, was not convicted. He was acquitted by one vote. A senator from Kansas, Edmund Ross, he said, as I cast that vote, it was as if I was looking into my own grave because he was a Republican. And he voted against his colleagues in what their position was. Um, So Ross was the one who, well, Johnson said, I'm going to try to salvage my reputation. And for the rest of his presidency, for the rest of 1868, he, uh, he works to do that. But over the course of time, beginning with Lincoln, there were a series of pardons that were given to uh, Confederate soldiers, officers, uh, people who were part of the Confederate government, uh, And it culminates on Christmas Day, 1868, where one of his last acts, okay, Johnson issues this proclamation. You'll see it on your screen. There it is. It is a once and for all final proclamation of all who participated in the rebellion. Soldiers, officers, landowners, people in the government, even Samuel Mudd, who set John Wilkes Booth's leg after he assassinated Lincoln. Remember, he broke his leg. Dr. Mudd set his leg, not knowing who he was or what he had done. Well, he'd been convicted and gone to prison. He was pardoned, as was Jefferson Davis himself by this proclamation. And when Johnson did it, uh, he said, I'm doing this to bring unity once and for all, to forgive, to dismiss, to pardon those who participated in the rebellion, and to heal the nation. Okay? That was an Advent scandal. Reconstruction was still underway. Congress had still set some stipulations for 14 of them that people had to meet in order to be pardoned. This basically erased all of that. Uh, It allowed those who had been involved in the secession and in the war in the South to fully participate in the reconstruction of the South. Uh, That resulted in... um, what they call black codes and other things that forbid or prohibit or made it difficult for freed slaves to fully enter back into life in the South. And so it was a, it was a 
Why did he do it? What were his motives? Uh, for some, it was great news. For others, it was absolutely a, a, an Advent scandal. That happened on December 25th, 1868. Okay? I mean, I, it, it's amazing the things our nation has been through and, and how we're, we're still together. But I want to share with you about another Advent scandal. It's the scandal that occurred when God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, last week we talked about incarnation, didn't we? This week we want to talk about not only incarnation, but we want to talk about why God became flesh and dwelt among us. And therein lies the scandal. I want to share with you a passage that I came across in my Advent devotions. It is uh, Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. And I'd read this many, many times, but I never really made the connection or saw it in, in the light that I'm going to share with you today. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you do not desire, but a body you prepare for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Now, where does that come from? The authors of Hebrews, he is quoting Psalm 40. The passage that was read here is our, is our Advent passage. Uh, it is a, a prophetic passage. Speaking of the incarnation, but more importantly, what the incarnation was all about. That Jesus Christ would become the one, once for all, fully sufficient sacrifice for our sin. That he came into the world to die for you and for me. That we might receive pardon, unconditional forgiveness of our sins. We who participated in the rebellion that began in heaven with Satan himself. The scripture says that we, by virtue of our sin, of our separation from God, became enemies with God. We were hostile towards God. And yet, in the incarnation, God becomes flesh to dwell among us for the sake of what? Doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now to many, that's scandalous, right? Do you know every religion in the world has in common man working, man and women, humanity working to appease God. Earning God's favor. Earning, if you will, salvation. Christianity stands alone as the only faith that says, no, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do. You're helpless in your sin. And because of that, I'm going to do for you. I am going to. Right? Leave heaven, come to earth, become the, the once for all, fully sufficient sacrifice for your sin that you might have forgiveness of your sin. You don't have to pay the penalty for it. I'm going to do it for you. 
new life and eternal life. That is an Advent scandal. Look at this passage. Just keep that up there. Now picture this. I've never seen it this way. It says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is a picture, if you will. We look at Christmas from, an, from, an, from a worldly, an earth perspective, right? The angel came and spoke to Joseph. The angel came and spoke to Mary. The angels announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. The Magi saw the natural revelation of the star. And they knew uh, the Word of God. And they, they followed the star to find the one who was born King of the Jews. That's all kind of from an earthly perspective of these people that were a part of that, that story. But here you get heaven's perspective. You're looking from heaven down to earth. And literally what you're seeing is when Christ came into the world, He said at His incarnation, He said, well, who is He talking to? The author of Hebrews suggests that there's a conversation going on in heaven where God the Son is speaking to God the Father. And they're having this, this conversation before Christ is coming in the incarnation. And he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. That's, that's incarnation. Okay? With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Why? Because those who were conducting them were doing it because it was just kind of religiosity. It was a religious function. It was something they were doing, and yet their hearts weren't obedient and didn't belong fully to the Lord. And the Lord said, I, I, I desire obedience, not sacrifice. If you're going to sacrifice and not be obedient, don't waste your time. That's not what I desire. And so not only was the sacrifice imperfect, but those who were sacrificing were imperfect. And that's not what God intended. Then he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, in the law, in the prophets, and in God's Word. Jesus is saying, it's written about this. It's written about me. Psalm 40 is all about me. Not only is God coming to earth in the Incarnation, but He came for a purpose, that's to die. To be the one full sufficient sacrifice for your sin and my sin. A blanket pardon, forgiveness for those who are actively involved in Satan's rebellion against God. For those who are hostile to God. Now, let me tell you something. It's been said of Andrew Johnson, he was a white supremacist. It was said he had mixed motives in his pardon and what he did in his idea of reconstruction. But make no mistake, there's no question about God's motives. For God so loved the world that He gave the greatest Christmas gift of all time. His Son, Jesus Christ. It was His love. It was His love. And so Jesus said, Here I am. It's written about Me in the scroll. I've come to do Your will, My God. 
And so He comes to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father. The perfect sacrifice. The Lamb without spot or blemish. The High Priest whose motives are pure and true to God's desire. He's both High Priest and sacrifice. I've come to do Your will, my God. Romans 3, 21-24 says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to us. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Paul's saying the same thing in Romans. It's been made known to us, to which the law and the prophets testify. What did Jesus say? He said, it's written about me in your scroll. The law and the prophets testified to me. Paul's picking up that same thought here. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. That's who it's given to. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Okay? In other words, it doesn't matter what your station in life is. It doesn't matter whether or not you thought you were favored with God to begin with or God wouldn't even give you the time of day. There really is no difference In God's eyes, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. doesn't make a difference what your, quote, station is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, that's a scandalous statement. Do you realize that? Especially for those who think that they can earn Salvation, or that their, their, their works are righteous in the sight of God, in and of themselves, apart from Christ. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, through the price paid that came by Jesus Christ. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. Not of ourselves, right? We can't take credit. Romans 5, 6-8 says this, You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, helpless in your sin, unable to do anything about it, stuck in the morass, in the pit, in the miry clay of life, Right? That describes our condition. The condition that Christ came into the world to save us from. When you were still powerless in your sin at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates what? His love. God demonstrates His love in this. Wow. He demonstrates His own love for us in this. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's not if. It's not because. It's while we were in our sin. While we were at our worst. While we were His enemies. 
He died for you and for me. Wow. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, that's not really me, Pastor. I'm a great person. You know, I work hard. I pay taxes. I even go to church. I put money in the offering plate. I may volunteer in ministry. That doesn't describe me. Scripture says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It goes on to say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. Now what do we do about that? It's not enough to know the story. Right? It's not enough to know. It's not enough to come to church during Advent on Christmas Eve and say, isn't this great? This, this baby was born on the virgin. What a wonderful story. It's heartwarming. Let's go home, open gifts and have dinner and just celebrate. This is fabulous. That's not enough. It's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to say that, that He was Emmanuel, God with us. We need to recognize that the babe in the manger was the Savior who went to the cross. That's what Christmas is all about. It's got to get from here into here. Well, we recognize this for us that God did this. When, when, when the son said goodbye, if you will, as the author of Hebrews pictures for us in his interpretation of Psalm 40, says goodbye. He's, he's leaving for a reason. And that's to die for your sin and mine. That's why he came. Now, what do we do about that? Romans 10, 9, or 10, 9 through 10 and 13 says this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, declared not guilty. of the sins you've committed and will commit. Because Christ took on sin and death so that we might take on His righteousness. With your heart you believe and are justified. With your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. Now listen to this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a scandal for some people. That's hard to imagine. I can't believe it, Tim Porter, that that would include you. You're so undeserving. Right? I want justice. Not mercy for you, Tim. Yeah? But when it comes to me, well, I want mercy, not justice. Does that make sense? Wow. 
It's for everyone. It's for Tim Porter. It's for Todd McCarrow. It's for Maddie Lochner. It's for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. You see that? How could that be? That's a scandal! It's God's love. Make no mistake. There's no mixed motive. It's one thing and one thing only. For God so loved Tim Porter. Man, God. Right? I love what Erwin Lutzer says. He says, there is more grace in God's heart than there is in your past and mine. There's more grace in God's heart than there is in your past or mine. Grace, grace, God's grace. Are you ready to celebrate Christmas? Are you ready to receive your Savior? Don't you know that on the day that we celebrate Christmas, God is saying, He's proclaiming good news. There is a pardon in the works and the making for you. I love you. You are no longer lost and stuck in the morass of of the brokenness of humanity that I'm entering to be with you, to die for you, to conquer sin and death on the cross for you, to raise from the grave that you too might have resurrection life, new life. All is forgiven. Come home. Come home. How do we do that? What do we do? It's as simple as this. Saying, God, I've sinned. My sin has separated me from You. I recognize who Jesus is and what He came to do on my behalf. Please forgive me for my sin. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live united with Him in His life and resurrection. And it could be a prayer just like this. Okay? Just like this. I'm going to read it out loud. If you want to read it with me, that's great. Just to affirm what you've already done, but maybe there's somebody here that has never done that. They've never received the pardon. They didn't understand that, that even though they're not worthy, Christ came for them. He died for them. That they can have forgiveness and new life and eternal life. They can begin a, a transformed life. Or maybe there's some here that have thought, you know what, I don't need that. But this morning I recognize I do. I'm not good enough. I have fallen short. I need what Jesus did on the cross to be for me. And I want to receive Him as my Savior. It's a simple prayer. It goes like this, Father, I know that my sins have separated me from You. I'm truly sorry. Please forgive me. I want to turn away from my past sinful life towards You. I believe that Your Son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins 
and was resurrected from the dead and is alive and is offering me forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. My desire is for the Holy Spirit to help me avoid sinning and obey you. I want to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in your heart, if you called upon the Lord, the Scripture says you're saved. Would you tell somebody? Would you go back to the cross and let our prayer team know? Would you come let me know, Pastor Tyler know? Because we want to walk alongside you. We want to encourage you and and help share with you how you can, can live with Christ. And live in the fullness of what He's done for you. Yep. There was a Christmas scandal. December 25th, 1868. There was forgiveness issued, although for questionable motives. But there was another Christmas Advent scandal when Christ left heaven on the day that we celebrate his birth. That God so loved you that he gave you the gift of his own son. That he would issue you and me forgiveness, not out of mixed motives, but purely because he loves you. That's good news. That's great news. Let's celebrate that. And let's walk in the fullness of all that that means for us. Because those whom Christ sets free, they are free indeed. May we never, ever take that for granted. Amen.